Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Why Church? Why the Rock? By Pastor Sean Wood. Father, as we approach your word like the rain and the snow, says Isaiah, your word doesn't return to you void, but it will sink in and accomplish that for which you've sent it. I pray today that as your word goes forth, may it sink into our hearts and into our lives and not return to you void, but accomplish that for which you've sent it. We ask this in your glorious name. Amen. Uh, this morning is why church, but when I was preparing this message, I found that it was really my heartbeat for here at The Rock as well. So it's kind of one and the same thing. Uh, if you'd like to begin and meet me in Luke chapter 13, while you're making your way to Luke chapter 13, I am reminded of the account of the Navy captain who's sailing his way through Uh, a series of remote islands in the Pacific. And there's an island off to the distance that he notices a smokestack rising from the island. He's intrigued. He approaches closer, sets anchor and makes his way to the island. When he gets to this remote island, which isn't very big at all, he, he, he sees three huts on the beach. And he meets one person. And this person comes running up to him and introduces himself and explains his story about how he got deserted on the island. And and the captain's very confused and he says, a few things I don't understand. He says, I can understand how you got here and all that sort of stuff. He says, but who else is here? And he says, well, nobody. He says, it's just me. He says, but I, I couldn't help but notice when I walked up the beach that there were three huts. He says, what are those huts? He says, well, that's easy. He says, one is my house. One is my church. And the other one's the church I used to go to. (laughs) Uh, Nobody laughs at that in Tasmania. It's all common. No, it's not. Uh, All all jokes aside, um, I I need to be very serious for a moment. Um, Whatever church you find yourself in, our our heart today with Partnership Sunday, because we're incorporating that, is to lay before you making that decision before God. And this is really just a decision between you and God where you say, I no longer want to be potted. I've decided I want to be planted. Until you make that decision that I want to be planted and this is the community I want to be planted in, then God's blessing often follows that decision. But I want to be really serious for a moment. Uh, Do whatever you have to do to find yourself connected in a church. And we'll unpack more of this as we work our way along. Find yourself plugged into a community and a family where you are fed, where you are loved, where you are cared for, and where you can grow. Do whatever you have to do to find yourself in that environment. Uh, For those that had the quick opportunity to read the pastor's comments, they went out a little bit later this morning um, because of a brain fade. I kind of had a bit of a rant about the church and I, 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 because today, particularly in Western culture, there's a lot of negativity about the church. Uh, we see a lot of people doing surveys and statistics are coming out all the time and there's so many people are, are leaving the church and, and we hear other cases where, you know, young people now are quite often called commitment 
uh, to a church, something like once every four to six weeks. Uh, I know a gentleman that runs a, a reasonably large church in Melbourne, uh, which is geared towards young people. Uh, and of a church of 1,500, he says, I might see four or 500 on a Sunday because, you know, commitment looks like once a month. And we hear these and think they are all negative reports. Maybe the church, many people would say, is in a season of declining. However, I would rather look at it as the church is in a season of refining. I believe COVID is one of the tools that God is using to refine his church. Interestingly, when we look over church history, there's a scripture in Isaiah. uh, I'm digressing for a moment. There's a scripture in Isaiah where Isaiah says to God, he says, rend the heavens and come on down. If there is something we need in Western society right now, we need God to rend the heavens and come on down. We'll get to more of this as we work our way through, but I believe God is deeply refining his church. Back in the early 1900s, many people may be aware of what they call the Welsh Revival. And what happened before the Welsh Revival, leading up to the Welsh Revival, everybody was actually saying the same things we're saying today. People are saying, you know what, hardly anybody goes to church anymore and and sin is so more obvious in the community and and the pubs are full and the churches are empty and then God moved in power. And I believe God will do so again. And nothing short of that uh, is what this country needs. Uh, Pray for COVID, yeah. Yeah, if you're concerned, pray for COVID. But, But here's a concern on the global seen right now. If you want to pray for something, pray for what's happening in Afghanistan. Uh, Make no mistake, uh, don't believe what comes across the mainstream news because you're not seeing what's really happening over there. Make no mistake, the Taliban hate you and they hate what you do. And they will not stop until they uh, attempt to stop you doing what you're doing. Uh, don't, don't, Don't listen to anything else from Muslim or Islam circles. Their agenda is to get rid of anything else that's not Islam. They hate the West, they hate Australia as much as they hate America, and they hate the fact that you turn up here regularly on a Sunday to worship God and Jesus, most particularly. So pray for them, and more about that in a moment. But uh, today, uh, like I said, in Partnership Sunday, and at the end of today, we're going to give you the opportunity just to simply come and sign the frame. It's, a, it's a, an agreement between you and God saying, I want to be planted here at the rock. This is a place that I want to grow. We give you that opportunity today and then God's blessing will flow. But as I was answering the question, why church? What, what should church really look like? I love this account that we find in Luke chapter 13. If you've made your way to Luke 13, we're going to begin in verse 10. It says, now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues. Now, this morning I'm reading out of the New English translation. Thank you, Victor, for uh, blessing me with this. And it's because of one word that is used, uh, which is very, very well translated, that it uses that we'll get to in a moment. But it says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And this is going to become enormously important. But one thing we need to know about Jesus is that in Luke chapter 4, we are told that Jesus entered the synagogue as was his custom. 
And we might sit here today and go, well, we don't even know really what a synagogue was. Well, uh, today's church is what the synagogue was like in the first century. They had, uh, you had the temple, yes, and you had high priests, yes, but in the villages and in the outlying areas, you had synagogues. Local uh, synagogues were where uh, a particular ruler would, would, would pass to you or, in inverted commas, would lead you uh, in your walk with God. That's what the synagogue was designed for. Jesus is in the synagogue teaching and a woman's there. Let's read about this woman on the Sabbath day. And a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. Now, only this is the only account, just as an FYI, this is the only account in any of the Gospels that a physical illness and a physical healing is linked to the enemy directly. Jesus will actually say, this woman who Satan has bound. It's the only time it's mentioned, but it is an interesting mention. On the Sabbath, and a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten herself up completely. When we have a look at this woman, for many years she has probably attended the synagogue. For many years, she has attended week by week, in and out, and she has walked in with the same infirmity and disability each and every week. She's walked out with exactly the same infirmity and disability. And the truth of the matter is that on any particular time, one of us could be this woman. You see, although this woman was suffering with a physical condition, we are surrounded today, our pews are filled with people that walk in each and every Sunday bent over by relational strains, bent over by physical strains. There are people here who are bent over and afflicted and imprisoned by addictions. And in the name of Jesus, you should not walk out the same as you walked in. But this woman's walked out the same every week. And the lesson that begins to unfold for us is a religious institution, a set of rules, a a set of systems and programs and all those things, it doesn't matter how polished they are, they don't have the power to set anybody free. I remember talking to somebody out in the community not so long ago and they said, you know what, I'm not a real huge fan of religion. I said, praise God, neither am I. Because as we see here, this lady has been afflicted for many years. Let's keep reading because something really interesting happens. By a spirit for 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten herself up completely. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, notice she doesn't go to Jesus. I love how Jesus does this sometimes. He just takes the initiative. In fact, A.W. Tozer would say that God is always previous. He's always the initiator. God bless our Saviour. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, woman, you are freed from your infirmity. What's the difference for this woman? When she encounters Christ. Listen to what happens. Verse 13, then he placed his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Verse 14, and this is why I chose this translation this morning. Verse 14 says, but the president. Other translations would say, but the leader. And and maybe some translations say, but the ruler. But I thought, Presidente is a good description 
of who the ruler of the synagogue was. And I, I want to be as bold as to say... Now, I, be, I'm going to throw a disclaimer out before we go too much further through this this morning. And today is Appreciate Your Pastor Day, just by the way. I'm inventing it before we, before we finish this sermon. But, but if you can bear with me for a moment, and I don't know how many of my peers are going to hear this, but my heart is this. Our churches no longer should be run by presidents, but by pastors. You see, presidents seek to control things. Presidents think that they own everything and everybody. Jesus made it clear to Peter in John chapter 21, feed my sheep. And the most profound word in those three is my. You don't belong to me. You don't belong to the leadership here. You belong to Jesus. We all belong to Jesus. And when we grab that revelation, it remarkably changes how you treat the person sitting next to you. Which is why I always sit next to my wife so that she knows how to treat me. (laughs) And see how I move this way. (laughs) It's all right. Every man for himself for lunch, I think. All right. (laughs) But have a listen here. But the president of the synagogue, indignant. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath said to the crowd, have a listen to what he says. There are six days on which work, just as an FYI, nobody in the leadership here looks at anybody in this congregation as work. You are a privilege to join hands with and walk with as we journey together in Christ. You're not work. There are six days on which work should be done. So come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. My heart is saddened when I hear all too often that people become indignant when God imposes himself upon our methods and upon our programs and upon our systems. Uh, I I can tell you of a church now that uh, some relatives of ours have gone to and I can remember that they were having a a child dedicated and we were going out for lunch afterwards and it was a great big celebration and I rang them and said, listen, we need to book lunch, but can you just tell us roughly what time you think you're certain? They said, not roughly. They said, our service will finish at 11. I said, no, that's cool, but, you know, um, uh, by the time we do the dedication, and they said, no, 11 o'clock. Can I tell you, at 10.59, everybody closed their books, put them under the seat and began to stand? He became indignant because Jesus had moved. Let's keep reading what Jesus has to say. There are six, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. The word hypocrite, in when, particularly when Jesus uses it, but the word hypocrite in the Greek is a theatre term and it basically means to wear a mask like an actor. You play, you're playing two different roles. What's Jesus saying to this guy? You're playing two different roles here. On the outside, everything looks good, but on the inside, something's wrong. Without Jesus, there's no change to the inside, by the way. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey or throw the cat outside and from his, from his stall and lead it to the water? Then shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, absolutely, shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who's Satan bound for 18 long years, be released from this imprisonment on the Sabbath day? When he had said all this, his adversaries were humiliated. Praise God, they were humiliated. Uh, I appreciate uh, A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer's writings have deeply shaped 
uh, a lot of how I think and, and continue to do so. I continue to read them over and over. But I was challenged by one uh, paragraph that A.W. Tozer writes where he says, our pulpits have been far too long filled with scribes. He says, a scribe will tell you of what they have read. A scribe will tell you of what they have learnt. He says, but a prophet, oh, he says, a prophet will tell you of what they have seen and what they have experienced. There's a huge challenge for that in leadership, but when we come here, the idea is that we pencil in an outline of what happens on Sunday, but Holy Spirit, you can rub that out whenever you see fit. Because if we're just going through the motions, you see, uh, myself and my family, we don't regret a day that we came up here. The fishing's not as good up here as it was in Tasmania, but it's getting better. But we don't regret a day. We never look at what it was that we left behind. We never look at anything that we've lost. We look at all the amazing amount that we've gained since we've come to Queensland. But I did not come here to manage a church for 20 years or whatever God's got in mind. I didn't come here to manage a church. I didn't come here to drift through Christianity. And... I would like to share my heart about what The Rock is here for moving forward from now. What does it look like when each and every Sunday you come in here? What's the difference? The difference is when we meet Christ, not religion. It doesn't matter how good the singing is, and the singing was fantastic again this morning. It doesn't matter. You can hire the best preachers. You can sit at home, and there's a reason why you can't do this and survive in your Christian walk. You can sit at home and get far better preachers and listen to all the flashy music from Hillsong or whatever else, but the reality is something will be deeply missing. There's something about community and the presence of God. And I want to unpack that as we make our way forward. Four reasons of why church, but four reasons of why the rock this morning, and then I want to finish with a a, a new mission statement for us as we move our way forward. First and foremost this morning, I'm going to give you scriptures for every one of these that I give, so you might want to write them down or or, or get get your children to write them down. Uh, First one is, I need you to know that the Rock Christian Church is here not for your satisfaction, but for your sanctification. And I'm going to say that again in case we just kind of yawned, but we are not here for your satisfaction, we are here for your sanctification. And I'll I'll point out what I mean by that. We're not here to make people happy. We're not here just to to tickle and just to make everything nice and flashy and comfortable. In fact, I want you to know I I have set myself to make sure of two things, that you are not comfortable and you are not spiritually content. It's my job to make you uncomfortable and it's my job to make you spiritually discontent. I am here to help us all, and I need this as much as everybody else, that we would move towards sanctification. Let me unpack what that looks like. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. Peter go, Belong is a big word, by the way. But Peter goes on to say, well, at one point in time, you were not a people, but now you're a people. Notice he didn't use the word person. If we go back to the story of Israel uh, coming out of uh, Egypt, uh, you could sum up the word, the book of Exodus could be summed up with this sentence, God draws us out so that he may draw us in. God drew the Israelites out. He drew them out of Egypt. He drew them out so that he could separate them and reveal himself to them and draw them ever closer to himself. 
God sanctifies us. God draws us out of the world. He draws us out, distinguishes us that he may, as a people, he may draw us closer into his presence. My heart is that we would go on that journey. Second one is, this one's a big one for us here, as you'll notice by the words on the back here. Uh, Why church and why the rock? We are here because the Christian walk is not about individuals, it's about a body. Now, not everybody can have a body as buff as mine. (laughs) Beck, you laughed first then. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I heard you laugh first. So uh, you can say goodbye to Beck as she makes her way out today. Uh, as I've said before, you too can have a body like mine if you neglect it. Now, uh, the, the, Paul uses a physical analogy which is deeply, deeply profound when he's explaining the church. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he speaks about the church being a body. And if you think about your body for a moment, if, if you were to cut your arm off and put your arm over there, who, who knows that your arm is going to eventually die, decay, and it's not going to survive. Why? Because the arm actually needs every other part of the body. The arm needs the kidneys, it needs the liver, it needs the vessels, it needs the heart, it needs the blood, and we all need each other. You can't do the Christian walk on your own. I can tell you now, you can sit at home and you can say, I'm going to do YouTube, I get everything I want at YouTube. Guess what? I can get up and do church in my pyjamas, get up three minutes, you can do all of those things, but you will shrivel and you will decay slowly over time. God has designed his body, Jesus has designed his body, that he would be the head. Nobody else, by the way. Nobody else takes that position. Jesus must be the head of his body. The body, uh, Paul describes the body as having many members, but being unified in one. Do you know what would happen? It's actually called an autoimmune disease. I'm I'm not a medical professional by any means. But uh, what happens when the body attacks itself? We need to stop attacking each other and allow the vitality and the grace of Christ to flow one from another. Peter says, sorry, in his epistle, that when we meet together, we are stewards or vessels of God's varied grace. The grace that God pours into your life, you're a vessel of that grace flowing to me when we meet together. We need each other. We need the vitality and the connection just like a body does. The Rock Christian Church does not exist to serve emotions, but a mission. Emotions are fleeting, emotions never last, but we are here for a mission. The great commission that Jesus left us, we have, be, we have been charged with uh, making disciples of all nations, but the most profound word in that whole statement is the word go. Jesus has called us to go. Jesus has called us to be a light in the community and <clears throat> being a part of the body is about being equipped and empowered to live out the Great Commission. It's about being uh, built up, encouraged and moved forward to achieve the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus used a few analogies uh, to explain what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who sows seed. 
We are the farmer in that parable. We are called to sow seed. But do you notice how he just scatters the seed? Some of it falls on varied soil. Some of it on good soil. The results don't belong to us. But my challenge is, what seed are you sowing? What seed are we sowing? What seeds are you sowing in your workplace? You sow seeds by your words. You sow seeds by your actions. You sow seeds by how you love. Last one. And this one's a beauty. This one's where we need to be kind to the pastor after this one. The Rock Christian Church is not about consumption but about connection. And there's a huge difference. What do I mean by that? We are not here to be a fuel station. Let me try and help you how that changes in our mentality. What this sounds like is there needs to be a shift in our attitudes and our mentality to where coming to church on a Sunday, our inner dialogue isn't, um, I hope everything's arranged nicely so that I will be blessed. It sounds more like, Lord, use me to bless somebody today as I'm walking. How, how can I bless somebody? How can I be a blessing to somebody today? Uh, Paul says to the Romans, when he's writing to the Romans, he says, I've longed to come and see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Hebrews chapter 10, if you need a verse for why church this morning, I believe this one is the verse. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 to 25 says, do not neglect meeting together. Do not neglect, do not abandon, do not forsake meeting together as has been the habit of some. But we are called to meet together to stir up one another, which means to incite or provoke one another to love and good deeds and to encourage one another. Church is not a fuel station. Church is not designed. The body of Christ is not about what we get out of it, but how is it that we can contribute to those around us? Uh, For the events that are happening on the globe right now, uh, there's some really important stuff that's happening. Uh, In China right now, uh, the church is under some of the most intense persecution, but yet it is flourishing. Uh, I was listening to a a speaker from the United States who uh, is heavily involved in a ministry in Iran. And uh, this Iranian leader had come over to speak at their church and uh, he was interviewing him, which sometimes you've got to be careful about doing this ad lib, by the way. But he was interviewing him and says, what do you think? How would you describe the Western church today? And he said, this pastor from Iran said, asleep. That hits hard. You see, right now, the church in Afghanistan, this is not what's put on mainstream news, but when Kabul fell and the Taliban took over Afghanistan, letters were sent to Christians. We know what you do. We know where you are. Burn your Bibles and stop doing what you're doing or we will come and kill you. They are killing Christians in the street today. It's happening. In Iran right now, they know what it means to be persecuted. In Iran right now, they meet. What is the church in Iran saying? What is the church in Afghanistan saying? What is the church in China saying? The church in those places is saying, you know what? Uh, We might die and there might be dire consequences, but we will meet. What does the church in the West say? We will meet, unless it's grandma's birthday. Unless I've had a really hectic, hectic week. Unless I just need to sleep in. 
I still have photos on my computer of the church in the Philippines after a typhoon standing over ankle deep in water worshipping God on Sunday and how thankful they were that they could still meet and if it's raining outside we're not sure whether we want to get wet. Be nice to the pastor today, remember? The, the amens dropped out really quick. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get a renter crowd that I can sit up here and just press something on the floor that can say amen. I hope I'm challenging you this morning because I tell you why, church is important. Church is important because you can stay at home and you can listen. We have people that tune in to our YouTube from all over, podcasts from all over. I get emails from the United States from people saying, uh, and I go, well, you're the one. But the reality is, uh, what I return back to them is, God bless you for listening to this. I pray it's only supplemental to you being hooked in and connected to a vibrant church. Uh, I, I know in recent times, Rick Warren has gone a little bit woke and progressive. That's a discussion for another day. But I love his quote that says, we're not here just to make believers, but also belongers. And I pray that this would be a place that you could come and find a place to belong. Let me recap some of those for you. We are not here for your satisfaction, but your sanctification. Whether the church is a body, not made up of individuals, but a body. We're a body like this, right? Plenty of excess. The, the, church, the church is not here for your consumption, but rather it's all about connection. And we're not here for emotion, but mission. I'd now like to finish <coughs> with my heart for the Rock Church. Excuse me. We'll wrap this up very quickly. All right, the book of Colossians. There's a word that's used in the book of Colossians that isn't used anywhere else in the Bible, and it's one of the most important words in the New Testament when it comes to describing Jesus. Uh, but let me give you a little bit of context, and I wonder whether some of these bells might ring true today as we look at the context that is surrounding Colossians. Uh, by the way, another important thing you need to know as we approach the book of Revelation is what we're going to do now, is it cannot mean to us today, no part of Scripture, when you're interpreting Scripture, uh, here's how to stop getting off track, it cannot mean to us today what it did not mean to them then. And as we unpack, if we have a look at a section of the book of Colossians, the question is, what did it mean to them? I'll get to the verse in a moment. It's in chapter 1. But the, the church at Colossae was not founded by Paul, and Paul had not ministered there. Uh, it was pastored by a guy by the name of Epaphras. And what is behind the letter is Epaphras goes to see Paul in jail and says, I've got some problems. And Paul says, tell me what the problems are. And he says, well, the place that we live is a very kind of progressive kind of place is how we would describe it today. The culture is very progressive and uh, culture is beginning to impose itself. Everybody wants to bring the culture into the church instead of taking the church to the culture. That's kind of paraphrasing what happened. But here's some really big problems. Uh, some of the problems centred around the fact that there was an enormous amount of false teaching. Uh, and Epaphras had done a pretty good job up until this point until Gnosticism entered. And Gnosticism entered and the, and the arguments were convincing. You will hear Paul use words like, do not be distracted by plausible arguments. It sounded reasonable. These Gnostics were all about Jesus and this special knowledge and all that sort of stuff, which is a, is a sermon for another day. But the church faced enormous cultural pressure. The church was being tainted and influenced by the culture around it. 
and it had become so accepting of everything that it was hard to tell what the original message of the gospel was. And Epaphras goes to Paul and says, I'm at my wit's end. Paul says, basically speaking, overarchingly, Paul says all of those things are symptoms. All of those problems you're describing, Epaphras, they are symptoms of an underlying heart issue. And I believe that all the challenges that the church are facing today, all the challenges that we as a church are facing today, exist because of an underlying issue. Here's what Paul wrote through Epaphras to the Colossian church. Again, I'm reading out of the New English translation. Beginning at chapter 1, verse 15, he says, speaking of Christ, this is, by the way, a, a, a poem uh, that Paul will refer to throughout the letter. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created in him, all things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So, and here's the key sentence, which I'll give you the word in a moment. So, that he himself may become first in all things. And the word that is used in other translations is that he may become preeminent. You see, Paul writes to the Colossian church and he says, all these things that are going on, all these teachings and you're accepting everything from everybody. And he says, problem simple. Jesus has lost his first place. Jesus is no longer preeminent. Thank you, Steve. We have to change a few things on the website and cards, but our mission statement at the moment, not that there's anything wrong with it, says that we exist to know Christ and to make him known. But from this point forward, the Rock Christian Church exists to passionately pursue the preeminence of Christ in everything. And Paul says to the Colossians that he must be preeminent in everything, that Jesus would pre, be preeminent at youth group, that Jesus would be preeminent when the elders are meeting, that Jesus would take first place at the board meetings. That could change some of our board meetings. Mark. It won't, it won't change the intense fellowship. That, that Jesus would take the first place in worship, that Jesus will take the first place here. I haven't come here to drift. I haven't come here to manage. I've come here to passionately pursue the preeminence of Christ in your life. And as a church, everything we do, that we would, we would seek to make Jesus number one. Because when that happens inside of our lives and when that happens as a church, have a look what happens. Uh, Colossae, for those that are reading Revelations, Colossae is a hop, skip and a jump from Laodicea, the lukewarm church, for those when we get to those letters. But radical things happen. When we get to the book of Revelations, we see that this is what Christ was urging the churches in the book of Revelation. But what we may not know from church history is that in 350 years, 
from the death of Christ 350 years, over 51% of the Roman Empire had converted to Christianity. I'm going to cover a little bit of this when we start the book of Revelations because it's important. Over 51%. So prominent had Christianity become in the Empire of Rome. And if, if you understand the roots of Rome, this is massive. So, so prominent was the Christian religion, so imposed and impacted was their culture for Christianity that Domitian, the emperor at the time, thinking, you know what, I no longer want to be stabbed in the shower like the rest of these guys, says we're going to accept Christianity as our national religion. And that was huge. I believe that if we make Jesus preeminent in our lives and as a church, then that will flow out to the community. As I pray, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pray and finish this morning. Uh, This morning, uh, if you feel that you would like to link arms with us, partnership is not signing paperwork. We're not asking you to sign paperwork. We're not asking you to pledge any money. We're not asking for anything more than you to make an agreement before God and say, you know what, God, I want to plant myself at the rock and I want to link arms with that weird Tasmanian pastor and (laughs) you laugh first then, Phil. If that's you this morning, then I encourage you just to come out and just to, between you and God, just to sign if that's the way you feel there. But can we pray together? Because <clears throat> no matter where you find yourself, I pray that Jesus would always be preeminent in your life. And I, I just want to take a moment as I'm praying now for the Holy Spirit just to, just to maybe put his finger on some other things that have a higher place in your life. Maybe work's taken that higher place. Maybe... Maybe family's taken that higher place. Maybe even religion has taken that higher place. Father, as we stand in your presence this morning, Jesus, our heart's desire is that you would be preeminent in our lives. Jesus, that you would be first in everything. That word preeminent means to be distinguished, to be surpassing. I pray that the one thing that is distinguishing in our lives is Jesus. May you be distinguishing in all of our speech. May you be distinguishing in the way we live our life. May you be distinguishing, please, Lord, may you be distinguishing in how we govern this church and how we move forward. Take the first place in everything we do, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.